2: Let's go to the hotline and bring in ABC News contributor, senior editor at the Dispatch and host of the Advisory Opinions podcast, Sarah Isker. Sarah, we've got a lot to talk about today, and let's start with the decision in the Trump civil fraud trial in New York. The former president hit with a $354 million penalty. Now he's got a lot of sneakers to sell to uh, pay it off. What did you make of that case and the final decision?
0: So the real question over this case is, would it have been brought against someone who was not named Donald Trump, who is not running for president uh, on the Republican ticket? Right. If you set those questions aside, and those are serious questions, I don't want to dismiss them. If you're just looking at the legal questions, this is a very broad New York statute. So the state legislature passed this, basically giving the attorney general power to do exactly what she did here. Now, I think part of it is if she used this power against every real estate owner in New York, maybe there wouldn't be that many real estate owners in New York because the power is so, so broad, which brings you back to that first question. But there won't be a lot of room here for Donald Trump to appeal this because the statute's so broad, because um, you know, one of his arguments on appeal is that there weren't any victims here because the banks made money on their loans. But the pushback to that, for instance, is Yeah, but they actually would have made more money. Therefore, it's that delta between what they did make versus what they would have made on interest if they had charged the correct amount for the loan itself based on the actual valuation of the property. So not a lot of room for Donald Trump to appeal, but it's really more of a political question of uh, whether she should have brought the case in the first place.
2: And I feel like this case in New York and the other case in New York brought by the Manhattan DA, they both go to something you've talked a lot about No one should be above the law, but no one should be, how do you put it, uh, below the law or targeted for uh, the reasons that it certainly seems like Trump is being targeted for in some of these cases.
0: You know, and absolutely. Alvin Bragg and Letitia James are both elected officials in the state of New York, a state that. By and large, the voting population hates Donald Trump. And so they're benefiting politically from bringing these cases against him, whether they would bring those cases against someone else or not. In fact, people like that they're finding ways to get Donald Trump. The problem, though, also is that Donald Trump's benefiting, too, for Mm -hmm. exactly the reasons you just said. His people think he's being maliciously targeted by his political opponents, and therefore they rally around Donald Trump. It's in part why none of the other Republican candidates for that nomination were able to ever get traction because once that indictment from alvin bragg came it became oh see they're after donald trump because they're so afraid that he's going to win therefore we must be for donald trump and so in some ways both sides of the political aisle are winning this and it's just our, you know, criminal justice
2: system and new process <laughs> right. losing. We're joined by ABC News contributor, senior editor at the Dispatch and host of the Advisory Opinions podcast, Sarah Isker. Let's get to Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis. Last week's hearing on misconduct allegations, there were questions about whether or not she hired a prosecutor to work on the Trump case because... She was dating him and then could, in effect, benefit financially from the arrangement. So she walks into the courtroom in a made-for-TV moment, takes the stand. What were you thinking as you were watching that play out?
0: Don't forget, I worked in you know campaigns for 20 years or so. And so there was, like, my lawyer brain watching it <laughs> and my political consultant brain watching it. My lawyer brain just, like, this was atrocious. <laughs> it was some of the worst self-lawyering i'd ever seen but my political consultant brain was saying you're not the audience for this and imagine you know if you were the audience what you would think of it and so on the one hand i think if you are you know a fox news viewer you thought she was glib defensive lying about a bunch of stuff but if you were a fulton county voter which is of course who Fannie willis cares about mm-hmm. those are her constituents um, I think you thought she wasn't going to put up with crap from these Trump people. You know, she gave that famous line Remember, I'm not the one on trial yep. as much as you may wish I were. You're the one on trial. Um, you know, she looked like she was fighting these guys, and that's going to be helpful for her side. I don't think that the Trump folks were able to actually make the case that any misconduct that she may have committed infected their indictments or their future trials. So I don't think the judge will remove her from those cases, but she's opened up a world of hurt against herself, potentially even unrelated charges. I mean, I'm not a tax lawyer, but there was some weird stuff she was talking about in there with how money was moving that I'm not sure you get to do.
2: Yeah, it was interesting because in terms of being disqualified from the case, it seemed like after all the dust settled, that was probably unlikely but then you have those questions about the money and the cash and all that kind of stuff and then also did they lie in a sworn affidavit about when the relationship started with the witness saying that it started much earlier than they claim it started so it was almost like are there legal implications outside of the case itself that could be in play here
0: Exactly. You know, in order for her to be disqualified from the case, they have to prove that the purpose of bringing the case was the financial benefit. She had to prove she financially benefited and that it's why she brought this case in the first place. I just don't think they were able to connect those dots. But (laughs) she did not have a lot of credibility on the stand as she was explaining how she reimbursed her boyfriend for tens of thousands of dollars of travel, all with cash that she can't tell you where it came from or when it came from. She just has that much cash in her home, has not ever replenished the cash? I mean, there's no receipts for the cash. It made no sense. And if the judge finds that to be not credible testimony, it means that she lied in her filing. She could be held in contempt of court. She could be brought up on disciplinary charges to the bar. But that's not going to change the criminal case against donald trump and his co-defendants
2: and i was just thinking as i'm watching her say all of this does she have a good home security system because she's talking about how much cash I
0: know. At her <laughs> that no one watching that believes she actually has that much right. like the whole thing is she's lying there's no cash in her home that's so right don't break into her home because there's nothing there i promise
2: uh we're joined by abc news contributor sarah isker final question for you out of all the legal issues trump is still facing what are you watching for next
0: I'm absolutely watching on that immunity question. You know, we've got the Alvin Bragg criminal trial starting March 25th. Um, You know, the Supreme Court's decision in this federal case on immunity could really affect that. Uh, You know, it's all eyes on the Supreme Court right now at 10 a.m. each day. Like I'm hitting refresh over and over again.
2: All right. ABC News contributor Sarah Isker, senior editor of the Dispatch, host of the Advisory Opinions podcast. And you can follow her on X2 at Wig Newtons. Sarah, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. We have Tampa Bay Business Journal real estate editor Ashley Kreitzer. You can find all of her work at TampaBayBusinessJournal.com. And you can also follow her on social media for the latest at Ashley Kreitzer. Ashley, it's great to talk to you this morning. And let's start with the St. Pete Housing Authority, their big redevelopment plan for a former hospital now moving forward.
3: That's right, Ryan. So I think this is the type of adaptive reuse that we'll see to really move the needle on Tampa Bay's housing crisis. So the St. Petersburg Housing Authority is a $38 million redevelopment of the former Ed White Hospital to turn that property into 71 apartments for low-income seniors. And this is what it's gonna have to look like, right? To make any progress on the housing crisis, we need to add units, we need to repurpose properties that have reached the end of their functional lives. And I think it really is, um, it's really progressive of Pinellas County to, to come out and do this.
2: You know, it's especially important in Pinellas County because uh, not a lot of room left.
3: That's right. I mean, as as you well know, that drive from your apartment to the, to the studio, everything yeah. is built out. There is no land. There's no vacant land. It is going to have to be redevelopments like this, adaptive reuse. These projects are not cheap. Developers are not going to do them without huge public incentive. But, you know, what's the answer? for for housing people need places to live and this is for low-income seniors this particular project
2: yeah unless they want to redevelop that giant dump that I drive by uh every day that landfill uh you
0: need that for all the trash though
2: (laughs) it's not a lot of room uh I really do (laughs) like this idea especially this space that used to be a hospital I mean it just makes perfect sense to develop that into you know a housing unit it fits
3: it really does and I think usually when I when I come on and we talk about affordable housing we're talking about the idea of adapting office towers to that sort of thing and like I have said we don't really have functionally obsolete office towers in the Tampa Bay region our properties are a little newer than that but we do have other functionally obsolete properties that are great candidates for this but it's not going to happen without public incentive dollars
2: all right the other story that i want to make sure we get to the owners of the serata beach resort on saint pete beach uh they're having a bit of a battle with the saint pete beach mayor what's going on there
3: They are. And this is really a fascinating accusation that the owners of that resort have lobbed at the mayor. So the owners of that resort want to add two hotels to the property on St. Pete Beach. And they're asking the mayor to recuse himself from a vote on that expansion because they're saying he was actually the founder of an anti-development group that's opposed to this project and continued to work with that group after he became mayor. So they're saying, you know, he's too biased. He can't vote on the project. And they want him to recuse himself.
2: But can't you be a public official and have a position that we don't want to move forward with, you know, major developments? You can get elected on something like that. And then why would you have to recuse yourself uh, when those issues Pop up. I'm not saying the mayor or Serata Beach Resort. I'm not saying one is right and the other is wrong. I'm just wondering. Uh, that seems like something that that some politicians would run on.
3: That's true. So the difference here and the allegation is that he has that bias coming into it. Certainly an elected official presented with any development, they're there to make up their mind and vote for or against it. And you're right. We have elected officials on all sides of Tampa Bay that have made a career out of opposing development. But ideally, they are not coming to the vote already having worked against the project. That's the difference. In terms of
2: the expansion itself, what is the pushback to it?
3: Oh, I think it's the same pushback you hear against every development. It's too much traffic. Our infrastructure is already strained. We don't need more people. It's the same drumbeat that that NIMBYs always say, right? I got in. Now we're full. You can stay out. We don't need to expand the, the serata. We don't need to add hotel rooms to St. Pete Beach. We're good as we are.
2: See, to me, you've got Clearwater Beach is the big one here, obviously. But then it feels like St. Pete Beach has a little room to grow and expand, just like all of St. Pete is doing.
3: I think so. I don't think you can ever really compare it to Clearwater Beach because the difference is in height restrictions. I think part of the charm of St. Pete Beach is that it has retained sort of that mid-century character. However, that does not mean that we can't add to that or that thoughtful development and construction doesn't have a place. Because you're right, like it's a beautiful beach. It's one of the best beaches in the region, if not the U.S. And why not just, you know, turn up the charm and make it an even better place?
2: Last thing I want to ask you about, we're joined by Tampa Bay Business Journal real estate editor, Ashley Kreitzer, Tampa City Council. They approved money from a state grant for a project that is going to impact a lot of people. We're talking about one of the busiest streets in the area. Tell us about what's going to be happening in the South Howard District.
3: So this is a flooding relief project, and it is on South Howard Avenue, which, as you said, is one of the busiest streets in Tampa, and there's so many businesses there, right, from the iconic Burn Steakhouse, the Epicurean, I'm a Daily Eats girl. I mean, there's so many businesses along that strip, and this is going to last from June 2025 through December 2028. So we're not just talking about, like, one slow summer that they're going to be working on the roads. This is going to be years of construction. So we already have some business owners who are saying, you know, we're opposed to closing the entire road at any point during that. We've seen what happened to King State and Central yeah. Heights. So it'll be interesting to see how the city works with business owners in this lead up because we have more than a year before it begins.
2: You would think, and maybe this may me being a little naive, but with what we've seen with King Street and South Howard being so busy, so many businesses there that plans would be in place. Look, there are going to be disruptions, but you got to make sure that area is still able to function.
3: You can't, but the other thing is this is badly needed. I mean, it rains on a Tuesday morning and South Howard's underwater. I mean, the infrastructure in that area definitely needs to be improved. I mean, it doesn't have to be a hurricane. It doesn't even have to be a tropical storm. That road is always flooding. It is dangerous. So the infrastructure does need to be upgraded, but it has to be done in a way that considers those businesses and the folks that live around there. That's a very dense neighborhood. All
2: right, Tampa Bay Business Journal Real Estate Editor Ashley Kreitzer. Again, you can find all of her reports. Reporting at Tampa Bay Business Journal.com And you can follow her on social media too at Ashley Kreitzer. Ashley, always appreciate the updates. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, James Biden, one of President Biden's younger brothers, testified behind closed doors in front of the House Oversight Committee yesterday. Before he testified, he was peppered with questions from reporters, including this one.
3: Did Hunter smoke crack at
2: the White House? Play one more time, James. Did Hunter
3: smoke crack at the White House?
2: Key question did hunter smoke crack at the white house uh, for more on this uh, not the crack part but the uh testifying behind closed doors let's bring in fox news radio reporter ryan schmelz ryan was that you did you ask that uh, hard-hitting question
1: no i was performing the ultimate heroic duty of the day i started in the senate i brought coffee all the way from there to the office building where this was going down for my capitol hill co-workers there nice. and that is about a, a half a mile walk with
2: coffee <laughs> and he, and it sounds like he didn't spill any so well done uh, yeah,
1: thank, thank goodness yeah
2: what did james biden apparently say in this uh closed door testimony
1: well he strongly defended his his brother and he essentially said that he has never had any type of business transaction with his brother or has there ever been a business transaction that has impacted uh President Biden's decision making while he was in office, which, you know, it was a was a staunch defense of, you know, what Republicans are accusing the Bidens of doing, which is influence peddling or participating in a bribery scheme that led to President Biden making decisions uh, that would impact whatever business transaction his his brothers were or his brother or his son were involved in and thus benefiting himself as well. But his brother adamantly defended that he had no, uh, implications with that
2: what were republicans trying to get out of this uh testimony or did they just want to get him on the record
1: Well, he is a key witness in their investigation, right? This is somebody who's very close with the president, somebody who has been in business, I believe, with Hunter Biden as well. And then you have Hunter Biden coming up next week to testify in front of this committee. So I think essentially Republicans, based off of some of the testimony I've seen, uh, they believe that there are a lot of contradictory statements that the president's brother made, Mm. uh, including uh, initially saying he was not part of a deal with his nephew hunter biden and business associate rob walker tony bobolinski and cart uh james giller uh but according to a source familiar with the interview uh he was presented with an agreement with his signature on it but biden and then biden then changed his story saying he did not recall signing the agreement
2: now we know hunter biden's going to do uh closed door testimony uh coming up will james biden and eventually hunter biden will they um be before this committee in a public setting at any point has that been decided yet?
1: I do not know if that's going to be the case with James Biden, but we do know that that is something that everyone is interested in for Hunter Biden to do at some point hunter biden his his attorneys have said that they are willing to testify in the public eye. Uh, Republicans have said they will do that or they'll agree to do that after he sits for the closed door deposition so I think it's just a matter of when, not if, Hunter Biden is going to appear in public before a committee.
2: And then finally, this testimony from James Biden, it comes just days after the Department of Justice charged an FBI informant with making false statements and and creating a a false and fictitious record. This informant was kind of central to some claims made by House Republicans. Uh, What's the latest on the fallout from that?
1: Right. So so essentially, Republicans were peppered with questions about this yesterday. And Jim Jordan said that this uh, that FBI informant is just one witness. It does not deter their investigation, that they're still going to continue pushing forward. But obviously, Democrats are really trying to hit hard on this FBI informant, essentially claiming that because of this, uh, the impeachment investigation should now be
2: over. All right. Ryan Schmelz, Fox News radio reporter with us this morning. Ryan, really appreciate the update. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right. You as well. Uh, James Comer was talking the other day and uh, more and more, there's a real question as to whether or not they have the votes uh, to move forward with an impeachment of president Biden. Uh, Remember, Uh, They've lost a couple of uh, Republican seats uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks from Kevin McCarthy resigning to the George Santos seat being flipped now to the Democrats. So they didn't have a lot to lose before. They've got even less now. And uh, if they don't have the votes, they're just not going to move forward. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't move forward with an impeachment uh, proceeding because it's risky. Uh, Not so much for Republicans in safe seats, but Republicans in swing districts. uh, You just don't know how that's going to play out politically. And I think a lot of them, they just don't want to get involved in any of that. Plus, I mean, let's be honest at this point. Uh, the election's, what, a couple of months away. It
0: doesn't even make any sense. It kind of seems like a waste of time.
2: Right. Uh, The voters can just uh, decide on it. Uh, I do think Hunter Biden will testify publicly at some point, though. And you would figure, because there's politics involved in in all of this, you would figure you would want to do that at a time, you know, a little closer to the election. uh, If you think you've got the goods to where it's going to end up hurting the Bidens, you know, you don't want to end up in a situation where uh, all of a sudden that hearing doesn't end up looking good for Republicans, so that can be a bit risky too. Um, but I mean, that's what everybody wants to see. You got to put that in prime time, right? <laughs>
0: right, Hunter Biden yeah. on the sta- Yeah, absolutely. Of
2: course. And I wonder. Uh, I wonder if uh, when Hunter Biden um, when he walks in, uh, if they'll ask him uh, this. Here it is. Did
0: Hunter smoke crack yeah. at the White House? Yeah, I wonder. Hunter if- smoke crack at the White House? I wouldn't be
2: surprised if that was Marjorie Taylor Greene asking him the question <laughs> right. uh, during the testimony. The Ryan Gorman Show, five to nine every weekday morning on News Radio WFLA. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in
1: my dentist's office.